Hi, I'm John Gonzalez, and um, my partner Jack Doerr and I are talking to you from True FM Online in Columbus, Ohio. Usually sunny Columbus, Ohio, but today, Jack, it's a cloudy day, isn't it? It is indeed, and I'm glad to be here with you today. We're here to talk to our audience about legal issues that confront most people. John and I are lawyers with the B Hall Law Group. That's B E H A L B Hall Law Group. You can find us on the web. Our firm handles a variety of matters, some of which are real estate, contracts, employment, probate estate planning, and significant personal injury matters. Before we get started, I'd like to remind our audience that we provide this podcast as a service to the community. While we try to provide quality information, we're not giving legal advice you can rely on in your situation. Why is that, you ask? Because legal advice has to be tailored to the circumstances of each case. Nothing we say in a podcast can substitute for the advice you should seek from an attorney in a private meeting if you have a legal problem. Jack, um, attorneys have different areas that they concentrate in. When somebody asks you what is your specialty or what is your area, what do you usually tell them? I always say I'm a business lawyer, and to give people a sense for that, I say, you know, I do things like commercial leases, non-compete agreements, I try cases. That's how I describe it. When I'm asked that question, I generally tell people that I do anything that is in court except criminal cases because I'm a civil trial lawyer. While our guest, she is a lawyer who concentrates in the medical malpractice area. Not only is Eliana, what we say in lawyer speak, is a med mal attorney, but even more importantly, she is the uh, president-elect of the Ohio State Bar Association. And for those in our audience who don't know, that's the professional organization that represents all lawyers in the state of Ohio. And before we allow Eliana to say anything, I want to apologize. This, this is like a low-budget operation. That's why we didn't have the red carpet out for you when you came in today. <laughs> so, Eliana, tell us about yourself. Thank you, uh, John. Thank you, Jack. Uh, my name is Eliana Dracados, and I practice law in Columbus, Ohio, with my husband, Dennis Yacobosi. Uh, our firm specializes in personal injury matters. We also are trial lawyers. We do not do any criminal matters, only civil, but we represent people who have been injured as a result of someone else's fault, such as automobile collisions and medical uh, medical negligence. Eliana, when we think of a negligence case, um, a car accident comes to mind. Uh, somebody breached a duty such as failure to yield to a red light or something like that, rear-ending somebody. What is the difference with that in medical uh, malpractice? Sure, John. First, let me explain the terminology. Uh, medical malpractice is a type of negligence. So many times folks think that malpractice is something more than negligence. It is not. Uh, malpractice is a type of negligence where a licensed professional fails to meet certain standards. Um, licensed professionals are doctors, lawyers, accountants. So, for example, if a client, let's call her Jane, uh, hires you, John, to file a claim with the insurance company after a car accident, you meet with Jane, Jane signs a contract, and then Jane leaves your office. You forget to open a file. You leave your notes from the meeting in the conference room and never tell your assistant about it. You completely forget about Jane and her case and never timely file her claim. As a result, now Jane misses her opportunity to file a claim with the insurance company and she cannot recover for her injuries. What you did would be malpractice. In other words, 
you're not a bad person. You didn't want to intentionally hurt Jane or you didn't want to intentionally miss the deadline in her case. Maybe you had something going on in another case uh, that distracted you. Maybe you made a mistake in, in Jane's case. The same thing would apply with doctors. So when a doctor is not reasonably careful when doing his or her job and as a result harms a patient, then the doctor is negligent and could be subject to a claim for medical malpractice. We are always concerned as lawyers who file cases about a time limit to file a, an action. What's the time limit for filing a medical malpractice issue? It's a very short time limitation. So Ohio law says that if you want to bring a claim for medical malpractice, you have one year from the last day you saw the doctor or one year from the date of your surgery, or one year from the date you discover the problem with a four-year statute of repose. Eliana, you're going to have to help our listeners with the idea of a statute of repose. Okay. So if you, let's say, had outpatient surgery today, September 26, 2018, and believe you have a claim against the surgical center, you would have one year from today so that would be September 26 of 2019 to file a lawsuit against the surgical center. If you go in to see the surgeon for a follow-up appointment, for example, then you would have one year from the last day you saw the surgeon to file your lawsuit. So one year from the follow-up appointment. If your surgeon made a mistake during the surgery, but you don't discover it until later, then you would have one year from the date you discovered the problem to file a lawsuit against your surgeon, but no more than four years after the surgery. So that's what statute of repose means. You can only look back four years. So if you discover 20 years later that the surgeon might have made a mistake, your statute of limitations has passed, unless the surgeon left something inside you. The law provides an exception for foreign objects. So if they leave a pair of scissors inside you, then you can file a lawsuit even years later. Very rare, but I've seen a case like that. Not mine, but I've seen it. Uh, and I will give my own disclaimer here and tell our audience that if you feel you have a medical malpractice claim, you need to contact an attorney because really the devil's in the details. Someone feels that her doctor handled her case inappropriately, should that person necessarily contact an attorney? Yes. This is a do not try it at home uh, advice. Get a lawyer. There is so much involved in reviewing a case and deciding whether um, to file a lawsuit that an attorney who specializes in these cases must help you. Um, now, if you don't know how to find a lawyer, um, you can ask an attorney friend. Uh, let's say you don't want to hang out with attorneys and you have no attorney friends. Um, maybe an attorney has helped you in the past with a probate matter or some other matter. Ask that attorney for a referral. Um, you can call your local bar association's referral service. I know Columbus Bar Association has a great referral service. You can call them. Um, or you can look online. Uh, or you can call me. Well, that's a great idea as well. So when John and I file lawsuits, whether it's a business case or for him a personal injury case, all we do is gather the facts as best we can at that stage, draft the document called a complaint, and we file it. 
What goes on in your world when you file a medical malpractice action? So medical malpractice um, cases are a little different, okay? So you still have to file a complaint. You still have to do all those things that you mentioned. But your complaint must be accompanied by what's called an affidavit of merit. So this means that an expert, a medical expert, must review the case to determine if it has merit and sign an affidavit stating that he or she has reviewed the case and that the case has merit. And generally, the doctor that reviews the case, the medical expert, has to be of the same specialty of the person you're suing. Well, now that sounds like a step that's way too complicated for the average injured person. And I imagine there's got to be a cost involved with getting this medical review. Tell us about that. Sure. Very rarely would a person be able to find a local doctor that would be a medical expert. So those experts come from other parts of the country. But the costs involved are significant. This, is, this process is very costly. So the attorney that you hire um, or that you talk to, because you may necessarily hire them right away, but the attorney that you talk to to evaluate your case will first have to determine whether the case has a good likelihood of winning, okay? Um, if it does, then the attorney might agree to advance the cost for you. So the attorney might say, yeah, I'm going to pay to have the medical expert review your case. The expert review can run anywhere from $1,000 to $5,000. So the lawyer will contact an expert in another state and say, hey, I want you to look at this case. There's 5,000 pages of medical records. The expert says, okay, I'll look at it for you. Send me $3,000 with the records. That's how it usually works. And then the lawyer will ship out the records with a check, and then the expert will review the case. And then it'll tell you, the expert will tell you, yeah, it's a case, or um, no, it's not a case. Uh, meanwhile, the 3000 is gone, whether, what, regardless of the answer, right? So if the attorney does not believe that the case has a good likelihood of winning or winning enough money, then the attorney might ask you to pay for the costs, to advance your own costs, or the attorney might decline to take your case. Well, I get the feeling that if we're asking for 1000 to $5,000 up front, there's going to be more money required down the line. Tell us about that. Absolutely. That's only the beginning. And again, the initial review doesn't mean that you have a meritorious case. Uh, you may just lose your initial cost and, and not go anywhere with it. But let's say that your expert comes back and says, yeah, there's a meritorious case. Then you can proceed with filing a lawsuit and having that expert, um, that expert's affidavit accompany your lawsuit. And then you start running up the costs, of course. Any, a medical malpractice case could run anywhere from $20,000, but it could go up to half a million. Some birth injury cases, for example, cost mid to high six figures to prosecute. Not a lot of people do those cases. Um, and folks usually don't have three or $400,000 sitting around ready to spend on a medical negligence case, especially if they're injured or they're not working or, you know, they're the major family breadwinner has passed away. So the lawyer will advance those costs only if the lawyer believes that he can win and win enough to pay for the costs and legal fees and to compensate the client. So med mal cases are not for the faint of heart. Or pocket. Or pocket. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if our listeners are aware, and John, maybe you can help me here, 
but I think the percentage of civil cases that actually go to trial, it's like well below 3%. How's that sound to you? Well, when you're talking about car accident cases, uh, personal injury cases, most of them settle before you even file a lawsuit. Okay. So you're probably in the high 90s before a complaint's filed, and the rest of them generally get resolved before trial. So I would imagine, uh, Eliana, one or two, three percent of, of car accident cases are actually tried. Almost all of them settle. Right. It, it, there's not usually a lot of dispute in car accident cases about fault. Most of the dispute is about really the value of the injury. Same or similar in the malpractice area? Yeah, Probably not. That's why I was asking. I was wondering if Eliana could give us a comparison regarding percentages of cases that settle versus going to court. Well, I can tell you that medical malpractice cases have a higher likelihood of going to trial than any other personal injury case. Some of them settle. Okay, whatever I give you would be very anecdotal. I don't have any statistical information on that. I can tell you that uh, I've heard. I heard a few years ago that just about 85% of medical malpractice cases are lost by the injured victim. So the doctor wins about 80 to 85% of the time. And um, so, so if, you're, if you're a plaintiff in a medical malpractice case, you really have to have an appetite for going to trial um, and really be willing to take that risk. Those are some daunting odds, aren't they? They are. So what are the considerations that you ponder or that a, a client has to ponder when going to trial? Sure. First is the likelihood of winning, right? Because you don't want to spend a week or two weeks or three weeks in a trial in a medical case uh, to lose. So uh, the likelihood of winning is important, and that's a discussion you need to have with your attorney and a serious discussion. Uh, people hold doctors in very high regard. So the jury will want to side with the doctor. Doctors are good. You know, they want to help people. And I'm not saying that they don't and that they're not good, but everybody makes mistakes, and this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a mistake, and that's hard to convince a jury that doctors um, make mistakes. So uh, that is that is a, a definitely a disadvantage. So my advice is talk with your attorney and find out what the likelihood of it winning is before you even launch into this uh, endeavor. And a lot of times you're looking for, as you said, a significant uh, award, right? settlement or an award. I know in our car crash uh, examples, Ohio law, uh, unfortunately for those of us that do plaintiff's personal injury work, puts caps on the compensatory damages. Uh, the one saving grace in that, unfortunately, for, for our clients is that there are no caps if there is a permanent or substantial physical deformity, loss of a limb, or loss of a bodily organ uh, system. Same type of uh, uh, caps in the malpractice area? Uh, uh, same but worse. Um, so um, there, is, there is no cap on economic losses, just like there is no cap on economic losses in auto accidents. So your medical bills, your lost wages, your future lost wages, all those are compensated with no caps. If it's a million dollars, you get a million dollars. So there's no cap on that. There is a cap, however, in non-economic losses, and those are the losses that we call pain and suffering. Um, so the cap for non-economic losses in medical malpractice is $250,000, or three times your economic losses, not to exceed 350000 
Okay, so that means if your medical bills are $100,000, then you can get $100,000 for medical bills plus three times 100, which is $300,000 for pain and suffering, okay? Um, if you have a permanent physical deformity or permanent physical functioning injury, uh, then your pain and suffering damages are capped at 500000 So permanent physical deformity, let's say you lost your leg as a result of a medical malpractice. Um, then you get all your economic losses, okay? Um, and then your damages are capped, your pain and suffering damages are capped at $500,000. So if I lose my leg, uh, I'm going to be off work. Uh, for a little bit, I'm going to get my lost wages. I'm going to get my medical bills, uh, but then I can get in a wheelchair. I can go to work and practice law, right? So I'm not going to get any more than 500,000 for pain and suffering. Now, if Michael Phelps loses his leg, well, maybe he could swim. That's not a good example, but let's, let's say he loses his leg and let's say he cannot swim again. That is a very different case. His pain and suffering would also be capped at 500,000, but his economic losses would be much greater than mine. But nevertheless, your pain and suffering damages are 500000 How does a jury usually work through those types of numbers and the caps? They mm -hmm. don't, do they? Well, it's they, first of all, juries don't know about the caps. Isn't that All right? Crazy? The jury doesn't know about it. So if the jury thinks that the plaintiff should get $20 million in pain and suffering, the, the, they'll, they'll write on the verdict form, $20 million. We really like John this is horrible that what happened, the doctor made an error. The judge will take the verdict form, scratch out the 20 million and write $500,000 in there. Cause that's what the law requires. And the law requires that the jury does not know about the caps. John and I always grouse about that because here it is. The jury is entitled to know all the facts, but they're not, the jury is not entitled to know how this distribution system, this distribution of damages works. Plus the caps in the, in the, car accident area, I mean, they've been around 20 years now or something. I mean, it's been a long time. That number has not been adjusted. Uh, for inflation, all. right. For inflation or anything. It's just you know, $250,000 is kind of an arbitrary number. Plus what I'm also hearing, let me make sure I got this right. If I lose a leg mm -hmm. in a car collision as opposed to a doctor amputating the wrong leg. My cap, you don't have on, a cap. On, on non-economic damages goes out the window, doesn't it? Right. There's no cap in auto accident. In personal injury, the medical malpractice has a, its own cap that's, of 500000 And that's that's a consideration. And, and and I think the caps were were sold to us, right? The general public were put on there to, to prevent frivolous lawsuits. But really, you're not preventing frivolous lawsuits. You're just preventing really good lawsuits. You're preventing high-value lawsuits, right? Well, that's what, when you were talking about the affidavit of merit, the short statute of limitations, these caps on damages, it, it all has to be a product of tort reform, right? Right. And it's it's hurt your area of law as much as it's hurt the rest of the areas, it seems to me. Right, right. And I'm happy to say that tort reform was the first podcast that John and I presented. So we groused for 40 minutes about the problems of tort reform. <laughs> and there are plenty. There are plenty. Well, look, I want to thank you, Eliana, for joining us. And I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to plug your firm. So give 
website, phone number, whatever you'd like to broadcast to our listeners. I appreciate it, uh, Jack, very much. So Eliana is my name, E-L-E-A-N-A. Um, our firm is Yakabozi and Dracados. Uh, my husband's name is Yakabozi. Mine is Dracados. I decided to keep my name, but our firm's website is columbusmalpractice.com uh, or ydlegal.com. So feel free to... Um, Email us on there uh, or look us up. I'd be glad to uh, talk to anybody that might be interested or might think they have a case. And I'm sure you would serve those people well. And I'm happy to say that when I hear your last name, there's I know that there's somebody who's got a spelling problem with a last name worse than I have. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, John and I will be back with another podcast about another legal issue that affects everyday people. So long, Columbus.